And if we get to a tipping point where there are more consumers generating and storing their own energy than there are using energy from the grid, we get to a, a system where we lose enormous value in our existing network assets. A wise man once said. A wise man once said. The best way to predict the future is to create. You're about to experience a next level shape. You're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. Please welcome your host, Carl Taylor. Hey, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Carl Taylor, and you are listening to the Future of Humanity podcast, where we explore just what the future may hold for all of us. I'm really excited because today is episode one of season one. That's right. You are listening to the very first episode of many great discussions. Today, we're kicking off with a fascinating topic around the future of utilities, and in particular, distributed power. You know, the current system for power, at least in the Western world, is very centralized. We have our power companies who own you know, various many power stations, a mix of renewables as well as fossil fuels like coal. And this feeds into a grid that our homes and businesses are then connected to. But today's guest and his company are working to change things up and create a more distributed power platform through the use of blockchain technology. So we are joined today by Dave Martin. And Dave is the co-founder and managing director of PowerLedger, a world-leading blockchain energy trading platform. He has nearly 20 years experience in the electricity industry, and he has held executive positions in two Australian state-owned electricity utility companies. Now, the reason I really wanted to get Dave on the show is Power Ledger, in my view, is one of the few really practical examples out there right now of what blockchain can truly bring to our society. So, in this episode, we talk about blockchain, we talk about what Power Ledger is doing, we talk about uh, self sustaining micro communities, we talk about the future of utilities, not just electricity power, but what about gas and water? We also talk about transitioning from our current power sources to more environmentally friendly ones like solar energy. So it's a fascinating conversation. And if you're interested in blockchain or you're interested in renewable energies, or you're just interested to hear more about where distributed technologies might take us, then you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. So let's not delay. Let's get right into it. So welcome. So great to have you, Dave. I'm excited to dig in. My first question to you, I, 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 as I understand it, you guys are off to Necker Island to pitch to Richard Branson uh, as part of the Extreme Tech Challenge. Talk to me about that. It's a really exciting opportunity for us. It's you know, the, the technology we've developed um, is pretty novel, and this and the the issue we're trying to solve, we think, is a, a, a global challenge. So, when you look at the scale of the problem we're we're trying to resolve, the, the nascency of the the market and technology that we're using to provide that solution, it puts us in a you know in a in a pretty good space to be seen as a you know as a an innovative technology company, uh, and the, the company that we're in with the other two companies that are finalists in the in the competition uh, it is you know is really humbling. There's some great technologies that are also represented there in the health industry and in uh, in AI and, and film, uh, and so it's going to be a really great opportunity to sit and and to pitch our our technology and our business model uh, 
to some world-leading innovators. Um, and it's not just Sir Richard Branson, it's, uh, it's a bunch of CEOs from other tech companies, I understand, that are on the, on the selection panel. So it'll be a r- kind of a rigorous challenge around the technology that we're using and the problem we're trying to solve, the business model that we think we've created. Uh, so it'll be great to test it, but it'll also be great just to be in the company of those sort of that, that kind of innovative sort of mindset. Absolutely. The people you get around, right? It makes it, it yeah. can just make all the difference. Just a simple throwaway line could revolutionize your business or connect you to someone. So that's fantastic. And it's the relationship that you get through these things that are, are just amazing. So that you know, in the journey of PowerEdge over the last two years, I've been exposed to people who are doing amazing things in renewable generating technologies, in the provision of energy services to communities, underserved communities now. Um, new business models around blockchain and new business uses for blockchain. So it's just, it's been an amazing journey for the last couple of years. And it's all really been about the people that we met and the ideas and just that kind of that innovative, innovative environment that we found ourselves in. And that, that is a perfect segue because people listening are probably going, okay, uh, he mentioned a whole bunch of words there like blockchain and renewables. And so what exactly is PowerLedger? What, what's your 30 second or 60 second elevator pitch? Well, we're either a technology company working in the energy space or we're an energy company working with a really innovative technology. But what we're trying to do is use blockchain technology to um, to simplify the, the transactive relationships that occur in the electricity system uh, and make them very fast and very autonomous and turn our existing electricity networks into trading platforms that allow consumers to install distributed renewable energy technologies and to monetize their investment, incentivizing them to install more. So ultimately what we're trying to create is an autonomous trading environment on the electricity network that encourages everyday citizens to take control of their renewable energy future. Yeah, so so when you say an autonomous trading platform, like to the everyday Australian or global citizen, right, who maybe they have solar panels on their roof. I I know in Australia, a lot of people are installing solar panels onto their roofs uh, or they're thinking about it. What exactly does this truly mean for them? It, what it means to the everyday person is access to low-cost, low-carbon electricity. And I guess the challenge that we face now is that we are in a, uh, you're right, in, in Perth it's one in four households that has rooftop solar. In Adelaide it's one in three. And that number's you know, growing um, across Australia every single day. So we've got this system now that is becoming really distributed. There's lots of generation. In the last seven years there's been more generation connected on people's roofs than has been connected to transmission systems on terms of large-scale generation. So you can see the physical model of our electricity system has changed, but nothing else has. So we've got a a regulatory framework um, that assumes we all still buy our electricity from some dirty coal-fired power station hundreds of kilometres away, and it travels through long, winding transmission and distribution systems. Energy is dumped in a market. It can only be bought by retailers and sold to consumers. And we just pay what we get, you know, get what we pay for. Well, that reality is really different, but that whole governance framework still thinks it's, it's, you know, it's that old linear model. And because of that, we've got this, this system that is driving up cost. So at the moment, um, for, for residential consumers, the cost of their electricity isn't just the cost of turning a lump of coal or a breath of wind into an electron, into a kilowatt hour. It's, it's, it's all of those points in between, the cost of running a power station, fueling it, building transmission systems, operating them, distribution networks, markets, all of those things. So there's a lot of cost that goes into a kilowatt hour. Mm. Um, But a lot of those costs are artificial. They're only there because they needed to be there historically. So when you're paying for your electricity bill, between 40 and 50% of that energy is the cost of the network. And 
the presumption is that every kilowatt hour that enters into the system um, travels through transmission and distribution networks to get to you. And then so we divide the cost up and we share that across every kilowatt hour that's sold to consumers and we all pay a fair share of the network. But the reality is more and more people are putting PV on their roof and they're spilling energy into the grid and their next door neighbours are consuming it. So rather than energy travelling hundreds of kilometres, it might only be travelling metres to get from your next door neighbour's roof to your power meter. Mm. And because of that, uh, and because consumers are consuming more and more of their own rooftop energy, the cost of being connected to the network is increasing. So the fixed cost of network service provision don't go anywhere. They just get shared among a smaller number of, of consumers. And the problem with that is that the impact is felt most acutely by people who can least afford it. Mm. So you've got socially and financially marginalised consumers who can't afford to install solar panels that are facing the rising cost of electricity. And if, you know, if the social impact doesn't get you enough, you look at the other end of the consumption spectrum where you've got um, small industry or a medium-sized industry who, for, uh, for you know, on their, the type of consumption that they have, distributed renewables um, won't work for them, either don't have the roof space or their power demands are, are too extreme, well, they also pay the rising cost of energy. So we're hitting the poor who are already marginalised and we're hitting a sector of our community or our, our economy that is a significant contributor to the economy with a whole lot of increased input costs. So having a model that no longer reflects the physical reality of the system is driving up cost and, and, um, and reducing the productivity of the system. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so with Powerledger, you know, you went down the route of, of blockchain Mm-hmm. To, to do what you said, like what was the reason that blockchain was the technology to use rather than some other system or existing database type structure? Or Sure. So the, the existing systems are all kind of linear. Um, each of us has a relationship with a retailer. It's a one-way flow of energy. We buy our electricity from them. If we've got PV systems on our roof and our spare energy gets dumped into the grid, then they buy the energy from us. So it's just this purely linear relationship. But the physical reality of the system is energy is flowing in all sorts of directions. I might be consuming the neighbour on the left of me is energy one minute and then the next minute I'm consuming energy from the neighbour on the right of me. And if I'm out, my solar panels are dumping energy into the grid and they might be consuming my energy. Overnight, we're all buying it from different retailers. So there are multiple parties involved in electricity generation and consumption these days. And a linear relationship uh, isn't sufficient to, to manage the kind of complexity of the physical relationship. So I always like to say we're not, we're not trying to change the laws of physics with what we're trying to do. We're just trying to change the way the market reflects. We'll make the market reflect the laws of physics. The blockchain gives us the ability to identify all of the participants in a transaction, and in this case, an electricity transaction. By, by reading all of the meters in a trading environment, we can understand who's generating what and who's consuming what at any point in time. We know where they are in the system. So we can identify the provenance of every kilowatt hour that enters the system where it was generated, at what, what source, at what price, who owned it, um, and then where it was consumed by who, who at what price and, and when. And then what was the mechanism by which that kilowatt hour went from the generator to the consumer and what did that cost? We can take all of those physical contributions to a transaction of electricity and then because we've got an immutable record of that physical transaction, we can tie a financial transaction to it and create a, an autonomous financial reconciliation and settlement for an electricity transaction that occurs every five minutes, every 10, 15 minutes or every 30 minutes in alignment with a wholesale market settlement. So, so really what, what you're talking about what, and what Power Ledger is doing is disrupting the entire 
existing kind of market of how we buy and sell electricity, right? As a, as a, you're creating the platform to allow for that disruption. And, and your background, right, was you spent 20 years in that traditional electricity industry. I suppose I'm curious to know is by being in that industry, what, what led you to PowerLedger, you, you know, as the co-founder and managing director, what, what led you to where you're at now? Take, take one step back on what you, you just said. We are not disrupting this industry necessarily. There are elements of it we are disrupting, but the consumers are. Right. So I said earlier, one in four consumers in Perth, one in three in Adelaide, this system is being disrupted, but we, it's, it's almost happening by stealth. It's happening in a really unmanaged way. And if we get to a tipping point where there are more consumers generating and storing their own energy than there are using energy from the grid, we get to a, a system where we lose enormous value in our existing network assets. And so that was the concern for me when I was working in the industry saying, well, hang on, we've got this changing nature, this changing industry, but we're not doing anything to mitigate that change on the, the, the socially marginalised, those elements of the economy I talked about earlier, or for the owners of the assets, the network assets and the generating assets that already exist. So our platform is intended to help mitigate the disruption that's already occurring. The genie's out of the bottle. There's no putting that back in. We're trying to create a platform that allows that, that trans transition from an old model to a new model in a way that preserves the value of the existing assets to the extent we can. And so that was me working um, a few years ago in the industry, um, looking at the problem of um, the fall, well, the problem, the lovely problem of the falling price of electricity storage. So my last piece of work in the energy system before I started PowerLedger was a consulting piece for a, for a network company that was looking at connection of uh, emerging technologies. So we were looking at connection of large-scale solar farms, um, uh, large-scale um, batteries, microgrids, disconnecting customers where it no longer made sense and giving them standalone power systems. The whole while sitting there thinking, this isn't a technology problem anymore. The technology is resolving itself. There's some really clever people creating some really clever generating and storage technologies, and those things are, by and large, taking care of themselves. The problem that we're facing now is not a technical one. It was a, it was a cognitive one. It's a, how do we integrate these things technically? Great, we can do that. But how do we t integrate them um, kind of in a market sense or in, a, in an economic sense? What happens if electricity storage gets so cheap that more and more customers get off the grid and leave more and more of the costs of running the traditional system to fewer and fewer people. And so for me, it was, was kind of a problem around accepting that the physical change was occurring and, and was well underway, wasn't going to be reversed and couldn't be changed through, through punitive measures or, or, or digging your heels in. Uh, and that, um, in that case, how do we how do we then manage the transition in a way that is um, is, is sustainable? Uh, and so, you know, it's about changing market rules. It's about changing tariff models. It's about changing your view of where electricity is generated and, and who owns that uh, who owns that capacity and who should benefit from their investment in that capacity. Mm. And it's a really wicked problem when you kind of look at it in the context of the entire energy system. Over the last 15 years or so in Australia, maybe even 20 years, we've kind of disaggregated the electricity system. 20 years ago, we used to have um, vertically integrated power companies that owned power stations, they owned the poles and wires, they owned the retail customers, and everything was done in a, in a coordinated, holistic fashion. And then through um, various reforms and deregulations, we split the industry up. We've got generators network companies, transmission companies, market operators, and we've really segmented the, um, the, the whole industry. 
And we have this really poor ability to look at it holistically anymore. We're no longer looking from the, you know, in a traditional sense, from the coal pit to the cash register. We're not seeing all of those interactions in between. And we're missing the fact that the consumer now has the whip hand in, in developing um, the energy system. Mm. We were talking to a property developer yesterday who is, who is in the process now of building a 250-lot housing development just north of Perth that will have a really skinny connection to the grid, but most of the generating and storage assets will be behind the meter, owned and operated by the property developer themselves in a way that's providing low-cost, low-carbon energy to the just to the consumers of that development. And so, you know, we can see that what used to be a very centrally planned industry and centrally constructed industry is moving to the hands of property developers and consumers. So it's a very different um, um, kind of development paradigm that the energy industry is entering into. Yeah, I mean, and so it's it's really changing the ownership of the infrastructure that generates the power, really taking that out of the big electricity companies' hands and putting it back into entrepreneurs, property developers, or the homeowners themselves. Yep, absolutely. And what that means is that, you know, in a model that you traditionally used to look at things as capacity, how much capacity do we need to meet peak demand? So we'd have enough generating capacity to meet the peak and then a little bit extra in case something breaks, and then a little bit extra in case our forecasts were wrong. And we build networks to build to meet that capacity as well. So we've got electricity networks that are underutilised for the vast majority of the time. In Western Australia, our peak occurs now, probably in somewhere in early to late um, February, uh, it's when we've had 40, sorry, three or four days of consecutive 40-degree days, and that's when we get our peak demand. But for the rest of the year, it's down around 40 or 50% of that demand. But we've built all of these assets because we've looked at capacity in terms of the network capacity, we've duplicated it in terms of, of, of energy capacity. But if we looked at it in terms of holistic capacity and put generation where the consumers are, which is what the consumers are doing for us, we realise that we need a hell of a lot less capacity built into the system. We don't have networks competing with generators to, to, to create capacity. We've got a smearing across the system of economically placed and displaced um, generating systems that are where consumers are, so we need less networks to provide them. Uh, we don't have these big spikes at the end of the grid that we need to build big grids to push energy to because the generating capacity is acting as as kind of, of, of kind of system capacity in those edge of grid areas. And we really changed the way that the system needs to be designed and built. And you're spot on. We changed the way that the system needs to be paid for because the consumers are the ones that own that capacity. Well, I, I mean, thinking it from an economic standpoint, right, like as, as an investor myself, it changes the concept of putting photovoltaic cells on my roof mm -hmm. from just an investment in my own power it costs to I could potentially be my own power plant and serve my community if I if I wanted to I could look at it as an investment that way and look at the return potentially available to me. Absolutely, and that's kind of the, the basis of our platform and the way we're trying to help mitigate or at least manage the transition to a more distributed economy is to create that economic platform. So the Power Ledger platform is fundamentally about allowing the, the person who makes the investment in that capacity to monetize it. So if you have excess capacity, you have the right to monetize that excess capacity. Same with, with Uber. If you're not using your car on a Friday night, you can drive around and pick up passengers and monetize that excess capacity or Airbnb. If you're pumping electricity into the grid, why shouldn't you be able to monetize that capacity by selling it to your next door neighbor? Mm. 
and and then to have a, a fair re reflection of the value of your capacity, reducing the overall requirement for large system capacity. So it's, it's about creating an economic platform that says you're not just looking after your own needs. If you put an extra couple of panels on your roof, you can monetize that capacity by selling it to your neighbor. The neighbor might be the guy that otherwise couldn't afford to participate in this place himself. He's benefiting. And the whole while, we're doing that with renewable energy. So we're putting more renewable energy into the system. We're using storage. We're using power electronics to manage power system, um, power quality. We're managing um, a whole range of issues that used to be managed centrally down at a distribution level where traditionally we, could, we couldn't even see them. Mm. Uh, and we're getting a, a far better, more resilient, lower carbon, lower cost energy system. Yeah, well, I mean, what just jumped in my head as an idea, obviously there might be some council restrictions around it, but if, you, if you'd if you bought a block of land and that right now your block of land is just sitting there empty, but you've got the investment to stick some uh, solar panels onto that block of land and connect it up to the power ledger system, you potentially could generate income without having to build a house and have uh, renters in there. I, I, you know, I don't know if the legal legalities currently allow for that, but technically yeah. uh, that's an idea that just popped into my head of what, what you're talking about. Well, and, and that's the kind of, you know, there, I'm sure there are legalities and that there are legalities around how you do that, how you're physically connected to a network, but, but you're on the money. So if, if I'm, if I've got a, a, a a group or a property portfolio full of warehouses and they're full of boxes. They All they are is a, a big box with, with lights predominantly, but they've got acres and acres of roof space that's just sitting there doing nothing. And they are the perfect opportunity for um, distributed power stations out in the community where the, where the consumer demand is, where we're not using huge networks, we don't have huge line losses in supplying them, and we could quite, um, quite easily create a, an investment opportunity for a whole range of investors um, to, to monetize what is basically uh, underused real estate at the moment. Yeah. And that's an, another great point is that you know, more and more of us are living in high-rise apartments and don't have access to roof space to be able to put PV systems on ourselves. But if we can access a percentage of a distributed power station like you know, the, the, the empty lot analogy that you've used or, or a warehouse roof, I can at least offset my, um, my energy costs by earning a return on the investment in renewable generating energy somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love most about what you guys are doing, I mean, so many people who are pushing the idea of renewables, solar panels on your roof, battery storage, they're, they're really pushing the idea of becoming off-grid, disconnecting, you don't need to be part of the grid. What I love about what you're doing, if I'm understanding what you're saying, is it's not about being off-grid because there's always, well, at least now, it, it looks like there's still going to be people who will have to be connected to that grid. As you say, the, the people who probably least can afford investing or if you're in a, a big apartment complex, you don't have the space to put your own. So it's not about off-grid, on-grid. It's about making the two systems work better. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. The, the, the worst state we can get to is when the, the cost of energy has risen so much that people who can afford it are incentivized to get off the grid completely. Markets will evolve. You know, there's, there's a really strong narrative in the, in the PV and, and battery market now about you know, getting off the grid. There are websites out there that promote it, how you can do it. And it is a reality now. The costs are you know, almost at parity for getting off the grid and staying on the grid. But the disaster is we have to install vastly more 
um, resources on roofs to meet individual peak demand than if we stay connected to a grid and share our peak demand. You're right, the guys who can't afford it are the last ones to leave and the last ones paying the check. It, there is a, there's a lot to be said around the, um, the, the efficiencies that are gained by staying connected to a, uh, an effectively priced uh, and built and managed electricity network. Yeah. In an ideal world, who, sh- who do you believe then should own the wires, right? The wires that connect us all up. Whose responsibility in an ideal world do you think is owning that? Is that individuals? Is it governments? Is it the, the power companies? Look, I think you know, running a power system is not an easy thing. So it's a, it's a technical system and it requires some smarts. And you know, we've got in Australia a good mix of state-owned and privately run electricity networks, uh, private networks as well. Um, so th- you know, there are skills out there and companies out there that can manage the operation of the network. And, and that role will continue for a period. It'll, it'll change. It'll get. We'll be running smarter and smarter networks, not sort of. Uh, the, the long, spindly, blind distribution networks that we've we've, we've had traditionally, mm. and they are becoming smarter as, as we speak. There are more sensors and remote switches and um, and automatic switches in, in networks now that are becoming smarter and smarter. So I don't think the ownership of the of the um, of the electricity network infrastructure is really all that relevant. It's it's how they're operated, how they how they're priced, um, how they're planned. So at the moment, electricity networks are planned on this notion of meeting peak demand. Um, the, the way they're priced is on you, you build this much, you get a, a regulated return on that investment, divide that annual revenue by the number of kilowatt hours you sell and then that's your tariff. So where networks are almost incentivised by the network, um, so the regulatory framework, to continue to build capacity because that's how they make money. Yeah. But if, you flip it around and say, well, no, actually, we're, our model now is to incentivise customers to stay connected and to use the network. So we're not talking about in a peak demand sense. We're talking about a throughput sense, like every yeah. other asset business. Utilisation. By utilisation, yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the opportunity in front of us, to switch from a system that almost inherently makes things inefficient to one where we're making it inefficient, sorry, more efficient and getting consumers to contribute to that. And so, so let's, like, thinking into the future now, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now, this is just the start, clearly, in a number of ways. It's, it's uh, one of the things I love about what you're doing. It's one of the few, what I believe, are practical use cases for blockchain. You know, this is a real practical, true problem that globally, not just in Australia, but globally, um, societies are facing. Yeah. This is the start of where do you see things going from here? What's Are we talking about distribution of all utilities, not just electricity? Like where, where, where do you see things going? Look, quite possibly. One of the projects wow. we're looking at in Fremantle at the moment, which is a smart cities project, is looking at the nexus between electricity and water uh, because water is not just about drinking water. It's about um, removal of water and waste water and, uh, and treatment of water. And the two things have a, a very you know, strong um, uh, interaction. You, you need energy to deal with water. Uh, and the energy is typically electrical energy. So they um, they are likely that we'll see um, smaller, um, more dynamically connected um, microgrids from an electricity perspective. And there's no reason to suspect that all of the um, all of the utility services, whether it's power and water or transport um, through sharing of EVs. Uh, or sharing of autonomous vehicles, all of those things becoming a more localised service that are interactive and sympathetic to the demands in the community at the time and 
then able to help mitigate the, the fluctuating demands of adjacent communities. So one of the, the, the pieces of work we're looking at um, with some partners in India is the development of, uh, of microgrids um, in rural India where, um, where in India there's something like 400 million people at the moment who don't have access to electricity supplies. And there is a, a government um, focus on providing access to, to, to energy, to electricity for those consumers. If we did it through traditional means, the kind of the costs would be extreme, the, the, the carbon intensity would be disastrous, uh, and it would probably take a really long time for that to be achieved. But if we're looking at the creation of 100% uh, renewable uh, and distributed microgrids, that over time, as, as demand um, is induced and more capacity is required in those areas, are able to be interconnected. We create a, a network of dynamically connected microgrids that, um, that are owned by the community themselves, where, um, where demand is met through incremental approaches, so you know, additional couple of solar panels every couple of weeks rather than big chunky investments in baseload plant, which is what we've done for the last 50 or 60 years. And ultimately, they can be connected and operate in a way that is cognizant of the demands and the value placed on that demand by each of the communities. And using a system like the blockchain, uh, using the platform like the PowerLedger platform, allows us to be able to, um, to monetize within discrete communities and then across communities um, and, and allow the creation of a series of dynamic microgrids or dynamic economies that, that interact with each other on the basis of demand uh, and that capacity is, is provided in those areas by the communities themselves. It, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know if you've read the book Sapiens. And Sapiens talks a bit about how over the journey of how we've gone from hunter-gatherers, small communities to the bigger communities that we're in now, uh, and we've kind of lost that smaller communities. One of the things I'm, I'm hearing you saying is this, in a way, is bringing back that ability to create those smaller micro-communities, self-sustaining, but then feeding into the bigger community of, of the city or the country or, or whatever. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. When I first joined the energy system, I think it was my first day working at Western Power in Perth. My, my general manager was taking me around to meet all the other general managers and I went and saw the, the bloke who was in charge of the transmission system. And I don't, I don't think he did this, but this is why I've reconstructed the memories. He patted me on the head and said, son, this industry is about scale. The bigger you can make your power stations, the bigger you can make your transmission systems, the lower your unit cost, the cheaper the electricity is, it's where the efficiency comes from. And that's how the system has, and, and up until recently, continued to be designed and, and, and managed. But that's all been flipped on its head now because we've got the ability to, to get those efficiencies at a much smaller scale. Mm. So rather than having big, lumpy individual investments that by their nature are risky and, and expensive and difficult to manage, we've got many thousands of very small investments that are easy to manage. They're low risk. They're not at risk of being stranded. If I'm using solar panels on my own roof, I'm hardly going to strand my own power station. And so that, that old model of bigger is better is changing and we've got the ability to build um, incremental or meet incremental demand in, in increments rather than big lumps. So um, all of that is changing and it's, it's giving us the ability to come back to a, a smaller focus. And the beauty of that from an environmental perspective is that if you look at those small-scale systems, power electronics can manage um, power fluctuations and, and, uh, and security and, um, and frequency control and stability and all those things 
in a way that could only be managed by big, heavy, and, and more often than not, coal-fired machinery in the past. So by making it smaller, we can we can make the, the individual investments easier, easier to manage, lower risk, lower cost, and importantly, lower carbon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that came up when you were talking then was surely someone's listening right now and they're going, all right, we've talked so much about renewables and, and, and solar, but the sun doesn't shine all the time. So how, for the person listening who's going, well, you know, that's great, but the sun's not going to shine all the time. We're going to have to be connected. Talk about how it works in with existing infrastructure and coal, nuclear, whatever around the world is still being utilised. Yeah, so this is a transition. This is not a, a flick of a switch and moving to a new model overnight because you're right, the sun doesn't shine at night. So we are in a, in, in a state of, of transition um, from centralised to a decentralised model. Um, storage isn't quite there yet, but it's getting there rapidly. So the cost of energy storage and the availability of energy storage is um, cost is falling, availability is increasing. So it's going to become a uh, an ever increasing um, element of a distributed energy system. And the, the trick to all of that is managing the transition in a way that preserves value, preserves um, system stability. Uh, energy availability and resilience over a period of time. And the way we've looked to do that is to make sure that the trading environments that we create using the power ledger system are aligned or in sync with wholesale energy markets. So um, from our perspective, it's not just enough to know that if I'm generating electricity on my roof at this time and my neighbour's consuming it, we can do a transaction between the two. But that sits within the context of a broader supply relationship that each of us has with the electricity retailer. So our model needs to be sympathetic with that model. So you know, people are listening, we are having conversations with the network businesses around the cost of connection and how network tariffs might be um, refined uh, to encourage people to stay connected. We're also talking to market operators around the model for um, performing, providing, sorry, um, energy consumption data to markets so that we can settle both the peer-to-peer transaction uh, between consumers as well as the, the wholesale market interaction in the same breadth in a, in a coincident time period. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration as we transition through uh, through this you know, this change to a decentralised market space. What would you say is the biggest hurdle or challenge you think you have to overcome or needs to be overcome to see widespread adoption of your platform? I think it's a cognitive one. So it's an industry that has very comfortably done and very securely and safely and successfully. So I don't want to denigrate the work of the past, but it's a, it's now a cognitive challenge to say, well, that past is the past. We are absolutely moving into a new decentralised model. It's not an, an if scenario. It's absolutely a when. Um, when you can see that the consumers are making decisions that used to be made by um, electric utility um, executives, we're, we're already moving to a, a, a decentralised space. So, okay, let's accept the fact that our future is decentralised. What do our planning structures look like? What do our governance frameworks look like in that environment? And if it's going to happen in five or 10 or 15 years, maybe even 20 years, what does that say about the investment planning of today? The electricity industry makes 40, 50, 60-year investments. Mm. So using those frameworks, any investment we make today in a new large-scale generating plant is going to be stranded before it gets halfway through its life. So when we kind of make the flick the switch to that realisation, it changes the conversation. So there are there are utilities around the place now that are saying, well, if we don't get a payback on this on this investment inside 10 years, we're just not going to make it. 
we'll look for a non-network type solution to resolve that issue. And so it is changing uh, and the, the tech Technical challenges are there, but they're being resolved. The integration challenges are being resolved. The biggest one is kind of accepting as an industry that um, things are going to be fundamentally different in a relatively short period of time and that the, the way consumers interact with the system, the way the, the governance frameworks exist, the way markets operate, all need to be changed. It's not just a technical issue. It's a, it's a far broader one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and so... What can everyday consumers potentially do to to help if they're if they're interested in this? I mean, it, what what can an everyday consumer do that might help with speeding up this transition to the distributed energy? I think continuing to do what they're doing now, installing um, their own rooftop solar systems where they can, uh, resisting the urge in the short, short term to getting off the grid completely, um, uh, and you know keeping pressure on around conversations like you know the one that we're having around what understanding or asking to be explained why the capacity that they're putting on their roof isn't afforded the same value of capacity that's been installed on a transition a transmission system. Why does a market think that you know, 50 megawatts of solar installed in a field down the road somewhere has some intrinsic value uh, that's greater than 50 megawatts of solar that's installed across all of these roof spaces? Mm. So having those conversations, continuing to, to um, expect to be um, have explained to you why there is a, a disparity between the, the value of centralised capacity versus the value of distributed capacity, asking those questions and um, and generally resisting the urge to get off the grid until, um, you know, until the, a, a new paradigm uh, emerges. Got it. Perfect. So, you know, we've talked a bit about the future. We've talked about why Power Ledger exists. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening now because I think it's very easy for someone listening to think, okay, well, this sounds great. And you, you know, you talked about timeframes of maybe 20 years in the future, but this is not just stuff happening. You, you exist now, you have since 2016. Uh, you, you've been making some amazing partnerships and, and progress over that time. So talk to us a little bit about today, what's actually in place, some of these partnerships, India, Thailand, et cetera, what's happening today? So uh, in, a, in, a, in a blunt commercial environment, we are operating in a, in a number of apartments uh, in Fremantle, Western Australia, where um, the PowerLedger platform is allowing peer-to-peer energy trading between um, consumers in apartment buildings. So in an embedded network, all of the rules uh, around the, kind of the, the regulated network don't exist. Well, the majority of them don't. So we've got a lot more flexibility to allow peer-to-peer trading behind a master meter than we do in front of it. So uh, the system's already operating in a couple of apartment buildings in, in Fremantle. We're working with a property developer in Northern uh, to do the same thing behind a, a large-scale property development there. And, and we're talking with them. We actually, we have another apartment building in Melbourne that's has recently come into the system as well. But beyond the sort of the, the, the local apartment building approach, we've got conversations with partners in Thailand, BCPG, which is a, a government-owned renewable company, uh, building a microgrid smack bang in the middle of Thailand. So Fantastic. one of the world's most energy-intensive um, cities uh, with a renewable microgrid um, in, a, in a small section of the city, supplying uh, a number of buildings with renewable energy. So if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Uh, we've got um, partnerships emerging in India where we're doing trials of the microgrid technology I, I mentioned earlier, earlier in, in rural areas, um, looking at the interaction of multiple generation sources in rural microgrids. 
Uh, we've got um, partners in the US that are helping us build relationships there, looking to trial the technology in various um, various areas in the United States. Um, we're looking beyond just energy trading to um, trading other energy-related or utility-related services like water, like um, carbon credits, um, like um, uh, low-carbon fuel credits, those sorts of things. So the, the platform itself, um, when, we, when we started PowerLedger, we were a trading application. and We realised that if we wanted to have the reach and the impact um, globally that we aspired to, just being an application meant that we would have to duplicate ourselves all over the place to, you know, to have that reach. And that just wasn't it wasn't in itself sustainable. So we, we took the view that we would create a platform um, that could host multiple applications, multiple trading applications, hosted by multiple people. Yeah. So we're working with other other people to become application hosts on the Power Ledger system to create their own trading environments using our technology and the software uh, and the and the fundamental um, economy that we create to uh, to host trading environments in in other parts of the world, uh, and those applications will broaden from just trading to um, in energy uh, sorry certificate trading, carbon trading, all those other things as well. So um, it's a it's a busy kind of period for us. We uh, we undertook an ICO in uh, in August last year, which concluded in October, uh, and raised a sufficient amount of of capital to give us a really good war chest to. to to expand and go from what was a, a startup company to a really solid scale-up approach, um, broadening the, the number of applications that we can provide away from just electricity to those other commodities that I discussed, uh, as well as broadening our footprint to places like Thailand, India, um, the United States and, and Europe and other places. So um, that's that's what we're up to at the moment. We have a lot of flexibility in, the, in an embedded network space, so in apartment buildings and strata complexes, commercial strata like shopping centres uh, and industrial precincts, uh, while we work on changing the regulations to allow us to operate more freely across the regulated network. That's fantastic. I love I love how much you guys are doing the, you know, you as a blockchain company, some listening and some wouldn't know that there's a lot of junk out there in the in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space uh and it's so great to see an aussie company utilizing it for something that is a genuine use case for the blockchain technology and not just oh let's try and do an ico to raise money uh, that's a really important price because we we sort of look at the blockchain not as the solution. Um, the blockchain is the um, is the tool that allows us to achieve the solution. So the, the solution is turning electricity networks into trading platforms that encourage people to install more renewables, to monetize that investment, uh, and to stay connected, to share the value of that energy um, across the system. Um, that's the solution. The tool that we've found is that the most applicable tool is the blockchain because it allows us to really simply uh, to, to simplify those complex transactive relationships in a low cost and, and very um, high security and, and high speed way. How do the fluctuations of the cryptocurrency market, especially in recent months, mm -hmm. uh, how does that impact your operations? Does it like how, how does the, the the power token fluctuations mm -hmm. impact? The business of power ledger it, it really it, it kind of it doesn't um to be to be blunt um it, it's 
eventually the the, the power token is a, um, a a utility token so it provides access to the software it provides access to a trading environment and a pool of cryptographic tokens that allow the transfer of value and it also provides a prudential guarantee for people trading energy that they're their investment secure. So it's, it is a utility token that as our platform reach expands um, will increase in value because of the, its intrinsic value, It's because of its use in the system. So it will really decouple from the whole crypto market as, as it's more and more used. So, um, you know, our, our focus as a business is on running a good business. We're, we're trying to build the platform in a way that has greatest reach, greatest applicability, um, greatest attractiveness for people to use the platform and in that way, the, you know, the, the power token, its utility increases and its value increases, but that's just a byproduct. We, you know, the ICO raised the funds we needed to run and develop a really good platform and a really good business, and that's our focus. Yeah. Well, the same thing through the dot-com boom and burst. The good businesses, the good business models stuck around beyond the burst, beyond the, you know, the market fall. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's our focus. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, same thing happened in the dot-com uh, era as well, but people are adding blockchain to their, their names of their company just so their stock price would go up, you know, and the same thing happened in dot-com. Um, cool. So, look, let's let's wrap up. This has been amazing. I, I really do love what you guys are doing uh, in Power Ledger. My, my final question to you, I suppose, is when you think about the future, based on what you know in your industry, but also just the broader what's happening in the world, when you think to the future, are you optimistic, pessimistic? Where, where do you sit when you think of the future of humanity? I'm massively optimistic. I think the, the challenge that we face is, um, is, is having the energy to do things differently. So and I don't just mean electrical energy. I mean the kind of the intellectual or the, the creative energy or just the, um, the, you know, the, the energy to change things. And you look around and the more that we operate in an innovative environment, an entrepreneurial environment, you realise there are so many people operating in this space. There are so many great technologies. Look at the guys that are going to be joining us on Necker Island on the Extreme Tech Challenge. And you see there are some brilliantly intelligent, motivated and energetic people doing some really amazing things. So yeah, my, my view of the future is in, you know, incredibly optimistic. I think you know, if, if more people were more engaged in the future of humanity, things might happen more quickly, but it's just not how human beings are, you know, are designed. But there are um, some amazing people doing some amazing things, and I think the future is going to be fantastic. I, I look at my team, and they're predominantly um, millennials. They're, they're, you know, they're a group of people that are, are better equipped moving out of education, out of university now, to actually make a... a um, a difference than any generation in the past and they are so motivated to to be uh, to be involved in challenging the status quo and changing things for the better and you know ours is just a microcosm of what's happening in the entrepreneurial and innovative space around the world so i can't wait to get to the future fantastic well me neither i think i think uh, my personal touch is that I think we're on a, we, we could go either way. I see multiple options uh, and I, I definitely hope it is the optimistic uh, approach that you see. For people who want to connect with you and Power Ledger, what are the best places they can find you to find out more information or to get involved? 
Uh, we're, we're all over the web on Twitter and on Facebook. So it's, it's powerledger.io is our, our web address uh, and all of the, the, the Facebook, Twitter. Ta um, um, Telegram is a great one. We've got a Telegram group with about 17,000 really active um, members in there now. So if you want to get to the backstory, there's, you know, there's 17,000 people there that can fill you in. Uh, and most of us, uh, you know, get into the, most of the, um, the senior team within Powerledger get into the Telegram group pretty regularly. But we've always got moderators in there and, and most the marketing guys is, is usually in there or has their ear to the ground in there. So Telegram's a really great way to get in there. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll make sure that there's links to all those in the show notes. Uh, we'll also, if for those who are more into the cryptocurrency space, we'll get, make sure there's a link to the white paper as well if you want to look at um, the, the power token and, and, uh, and the, the cryptocurrency side of things. But thank you so much, Dave. It's been amazing to have you on. Pleasure. I wish you and Power Ledger team all the best and I'll be watching very closely with what you're doing. Thanks for your interest. It's great fun talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. Uh, you can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community foh.show slash community i look forward to seeing you there